Well, good morning. Are you awake? All right, let's everybody stand up. Let's stand up. I know that some of you guys are tired. We had an awesome work day yesterday. It was a great day. And yes, I am wearing a Cubs jersey this morning because we're not the worst team in the Major League Baseball. We're not. We're the second worst team. And that's better than nothing. And so, but I know maybe you're a little, I don't know, feeling it this morning, a little back aches, a little arm aches. I know some of you guys are painting, so it hurts right here. And so right now, I want you to just go turn your neighbor. I want you to just pinch that little place right here. Yes, it said pinch, pinch. That's how we say it in the South, pinch. All right, pinch that little part right there. If, if someone falls asleep this morning, you have my permission to pinch that little spot right there. Let's do a couple of washing machines, all right? Is that what they call them these days, washing machines? It's good. Awesome. I was actually, that's what Cubs means. I was actually thinking, you know what? You call somebody that wears a dress shirt with an awesome Cubs shirt. You know what it says? It says, I'm formal, but I kind of like to party too. <laughs> so just throwing it out there, okay? All right, this morning, let's say the, the Lord's Prayer together, okay? Here we go. Let's say it just one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as... Stop. And you can sit down. A guy by the name of Charles Williams said, That little word right there can bring more terror than any other word. That clause, that little word in that clause, as, and we'll see why in a few, few minutes. School is coming back. Two weeks, parents are like, oh, my kids are gone. Whew. Man, we can have more confession now. We need, it's open time. We're in church, folks. It's okay. That's great. School's back in a couple weeks. How many tried the uh, tax-free weekend, uh, try to conquer that traffic? You are brave souls. Brave souls, you are good people. Well, school's coming back in a couple of weeks, and uh, you know what they ask you on the very first day of uh, school? How was your summer? Kids, get ready for that question. It'll be there. And uh, this morning, just real quick, in, in Jesus' time, they had school too. I don't know if you knew that. A Jewish school, I guess what they called it maybe. And uh, they had different levels of, of schooling, all right? And if you were a Jewish boy or girl, between the ages of you started about the age of six, you would go to a school, and it was called Beit Sefer, okay? Six to ten, called Beit Sefer, all right? Strange name, I know. And what you would do in school from six to ten is you would actually learn the Torah. You would learn the Torah. And what's the Torah? The first five books of the Bible. If you have your Bible with you, open it up. Just, or just grab your Bible. Look at the first five books real quick. And as you're getting there, kind of a cool thing that teachers did back then, on the first day, they would, of course, in Jewish school, what would they do? They would ask, how's your summer? Uh, but they would also, they would also, they would take some honey, and they would drop it on the slate of every student. And they would sit there and have them look at the slate, the little drop of honey, and at the same time, would taste that honey. And they would say, just as sweet as that honey is, so is the word of God. Pretty cool. First five books of the Bible, you got it? There it is. Six to ten, you would learn the first five books memorized. Memorized in school. The whole thing. Think about that for a second. 
Now, that's way before like Texas state testing and things like that, so they had time to do that. But that's a lot to memorize. It's a lot to memorize, okay? I don't know, I mean, could we do that? That's a lot. Now, if you were a good student, if you were a good student, you could go to the next level, which is Beit Talmud. Beit Talmud, all right? Now, if you weren't, if you didn't memorize all this, they didn't think you were a very good student, they had said, go back home and learn your family traits. Maybe you were a, your father was a farmer or a fisherman or something like that. And so you could go back home and you begin to learn that trait. Your schooling days are over, okay? But if you could get to level two, bait, Talmud, you'd go to the next level. And guess what? Grab that, go back to that, that French prophet uh, Malachi. Find that book, uh, the end of old, the Old Testament. Find that book. You got it? I'm almost there. If you came to level two, bait, Talmud, they learned the entire... Hebrew Bible, all right? Entire title Hebrew Bible. If your student complains this year in school, just do this. Mm. All right, memorize. They would have it memorized. And they would actually, they would, they would teach the, the, the professor, the, the, the teacher in, in, in school there would teach the art of questions and answers. And the students would learn how to ask good questions because that's what it means to be a good student. And then at the end of this Beit Talmud, they would go to, if you were a good student, one of the best, then you would actually go to the third level. And this was an important level. It's called Beit uh, Midrash. And this is where you would actually, they would find a student. If they were, had made it that far and they hadn't gone back home, they said, well, you're not good enough. You, you need to go back and, and learn your family trait. They would say, basically, go find a respected rabbi, a teacher of the, of the Torah, of the, of the Hebrew Bible, and say, Go and, and, and see if you can become one of his disciples. And so these students would go up to a, a rabbi and they would say, Rabbi, can I follow you? And the rabbi would begin to, to grill the student. Do you know about this book and that book? And they would ask tons of questions. And if they found the student worthy, you're worthy, you can, you can follow me, he would say those, those words, come and follow me. And then the student would follow the rabbi and try to become like the rabbi. So if the rabbi would walk by and, and see a piece of grass, he would, the student would come by and pick up a piece of grass. Maybe the rabbi puts it in his mouth and chews on it. He would do the same thing. Because what you, the student was doing was learning what the rabbi knew, not just about the word, but his philosophy on the word. And, and so they would soak it all in. The teacher was showing the student, and the student was trying to become like the teacher. This is super important because what happens one day in Matthew chapter 4? This guy named Peter and his, and his brother Andrew are fishing. And what does Jesus say? He says, come follow me. Come follow me. And what were they doing? They were fishing. That means they weren't good enough. And so Jesus is saying, you can be, you can be my disciple. You can learn from me. And as we get into the book uh, right afterwards, the, the chapter afterwards is a sermon on the mount. So here's the time when Jesus is preaching probably his most famous sermon. And throughout it, he's beginning to give his philosophy, his teaching on scripture. And you can look at that in chapter 5, and it talks about who God is. And what Jesus is teaching the people, what he's teaching the disciples, those people that are following him and becoming like him, he's teaching them who God is. This God is not a God that's so concerned about crossing the T's or dotting the I's. He's concerned about... Our hearts. So, with that, that in mind, turn to, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And there we find this where Peter, he's one of Jesus' disciples, he's following Jesus, he's trying to, to become like the rabbi, the teacher. 
Matthew chapter 18, we find uh, this verse 21. It says this. Then Peter came up to Jesus and he asked him a question, like a good Jewish student would do. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, good rabbis back in the day said you needed to only forgive up to three times. After that, well, just that is up to, just don't have to do it, I guess. A good bigger number. So Peter is actually saying, you know what? Not three times. I know this God, he's a pretty graceful God in Jesus. You know, because Jesus wasn't just the rabbi. He actually was a rabbi who was God as well. Peter said, well, how about seven times? It's a perfect number, seven, you know? And so, but what was Jesus' answer? Let's look at the verse. He says this. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 77. Now, that's an odd number, isn't it? Well, Peter, even if he wasn't a great student, he probably would have learned maybe the first few chapters of the Bible, the first few chapters of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 4, four verse 24, there's this story about Lamach. Can you say that? Lamach. I don't even know if that's the right way you pronounce that, but I think it's fun to say. Lamach. All right. Lamach was the son of Cain. You remember Cain killed his brother Abel. All right. So what happened was Lamach came home one day and apparently someone offended him. He hurt, someone hurt him. And, and, and what Lamach said was this. He announced to his wives, too, and said this. Today someone has offended me, and I have killed them. Because if Cain is avenged seven times, Lamach is avenged 77 times. 77, there's that number. 77. So if Peter was even a, a halfway decent, decent student, he would remember 77, Lamach, vengeance is mine. And to be honest, as we look at this word forgiveness, there is really two options. We can forgive or we can seek vengeance. Lamach wanted vengeance and Jesus knew that. He remembered that and he painted a picture for Peter. There's vengeance or there's forgiveness. There's vengeance and forgiveness. We know about vengeance, don't we? Vengeance is that I want to get even with them. I want them to feel the same pain that I have felt. And I want them to know when they feel that pain that it's because they have hurt me and now feel that same wrath, experience it. And I want to be there when they, when they feel it. You know what I'm talking about? But the truth is that vengeance, there's never even, ever an even there. We never get even. And that's the problem with it. Lewis Mead says this, the problem with revenge and vengeance is that it never gets what it wants. It never evens the score. Fairness never comes. The chain reaction set off by every act of vengeance always takes its inherited course. It ties both the injured and the injurer into an escalator of pain. Just visualize that, an escalator of pain. I don't know if you get like sucked into the escalator, but it just keeps going, that escalator of pain. Both are stuck on the escalator as long as parity is demanded. And the escalator never stops. It never lets anyone off. Man, that's what vengeance is. And that's what Lamach chose. And that's what our world chooses. And sometimes that's what we really want as well, don't we? If we were honest, man, I want that. I want revenge sometimes. 
But the kingdom of God is, is built on a foundation of forgiveness. You know, without it, heaven would be a very vacant paradise without forgiveness. Jesus, he goes on to tell a story after painting this picture. He, he goes on to tell a parable because Jesus, of course, is much like Yoda from Star Wars, except he's not green and Jesus has a beard and much taller and much wiser, let's be honest. So he is probably nothing like Yoda, but I just like to think of him as like a Yoda. So I just like to throw in a Star Wars reference every now and then. Uh, but he gives us this story, this parable. And, and that's where we are in Matthew chapter 18. He says this, there was the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's painting this all the time, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he shows, tells us a story, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who was owned owed, ten, owed him 10,000 talents. So king comes in, brings servants in and says, We're get, those who are owe something, time, today is the day of reckoning. And there was a servant that owed 10,000 talents. All right, that's a, that's a number that's foreign to us. But let me just tell you, that is a massive number, okay? First of all, talents, biggest monetary unit that they had back then, okay? 10,000 was most likely the biggest number they really had in, 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 there. People uh, would say today, if we could transfer that number today, the number, and I've heard different kind of estimations, Depending on the price of gold, this, this 10,000 talents was around $6 billion to $18 billion today. Depending on the price of gold going up and down. All right? $6 to $18 billion this man owed in our terms. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of money. Can you imagine? $6 to $18 billion of debt. That's how much the servant owed. So what happened? Keep reading. He was unable to pay it back. And so the master basically said, you need to go to prison. And not just you, your, your whole family. Until you pay that debt back. Until you pay that money back. Which is, let's just be honest, that's ridiculous. Six to 18 billion dollars. I mean, some of you guys are doing the math. Like, well, maybe I could pay. If I was in his position, I could, if I won the lottery, and then I went down to the track, and then I invested well, and not in Enron, but then I did something, I could... And they begin to think, well, maybe it's possible. It's not possible. That, that 18, 6 to 18, it's not. It's, remember that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about jumping and our sins and how we can't jump to Detroit? He couldn't pay that money back. And for the fact that he was even thinking about it, it it's crazy. And he begs, he begs the king, what does he say? He says, Master, be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. I will pay it back. Just give me some time. Be patient with me, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But the king, he had mercy. He had mercy on the servant, and he forgave him the debt. He forgave him the money, six to 18 billion dollars. He just wiped it out that day. Pretty amazing. And, and we look about at this, we look at this a little bit deeper. The word here for cancel, it, it's a significant word. It actually means to send away, to cast away, to release it, to hurl it. So imagine this. I want you just, with your hand, just make a fist. Imagine, we used to do this when I was a kid. We'd grab a rock. Have you ever done, been in a lake or a pond? You grab a rock and you 
throw it as far away as you can. Just imagine a rock. Maybe you're a skipper of rocks. We used to try to be like, we try to muscle up and so you could throw it the farthest. But just you're grabbing a rock and just throwing it as far. That's the, what we're looking at, to hurl, to cast away. When the king forgives the debt, the word forgive, it's the, actually the same word in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts as we throw it away, cast it away. It's very similar to where we find in Micah as well. In Micah 7, 19, this is what it says. You will again, and this is God, God, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot, and you will hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Hurl, cast, throw. That's what God is doing with our sin and with our, this man's debt as well. And, and maybe we look at that and say, you know what, well, this king, he probably had lots of money. Maybe he was a Texas tycoon that had a oil fields everywhere and tons and tons of money. And pff, what is this little amount to him? What is even sin to a God that has made it all? But let me tell you right now, folks, sin is personal, okay? Sin is personal to God. When we, when we have committed wrongs against our Lord, it's not just a... Pff, you're forgiven? No, sin is personal. God says it from the very beginning. Worship one God, and that's me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. That's what God wants is our heart. He wants us. He's not worried about let's just be rule followers. He wants us. He wants all of us. Don't you think it was personal the night or when Jesus was about to die on the cross? When he predicted Jesus's or predicted Peter's denial, and Peter denies him for the third time, and they make eye contact with each other when that happens, don't you think that was personal? <sighs> Sin's personal to God. It was personal that day. I love what Dan Boone says. He says it this way: Beneath the regal robe of this forgiving King is a cross-shaped scar, a hidden reminder of the cost of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. How many of you guys saw the movie Les Mis? Or Les Miserables, Rebelable, Rebel, Sabalaba, whatever that is. Have you seen it on, anybody seen it on Broadway? How about, did you see the, the newest version? There are some songs in there, they just get into my mind. I cannot, I dream, I dream, I don't even know what they're saying the whole time, but it just gets into my mind, I can't get it out. And then Anne Hathaway cutting her hair, and I just was, it was just kind of rocking my world watching that movie. It was powerful. And did you see it? No? Yes? You know what I'm talking about? Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine, that's, all right. Just wanted to make sure we're together here, okay? Well, this is a super powerful story. Maybe you know the storyline. Maybe you don't. Uh, there is a guy in the movie, the main character, his name is Jean Valjean. Can you say that? Jean Valjean. There, oh, look at that. There he is. He's a pretty dreamy guy. Isn't he, Carrie Forty? <laughs> Jean Valjean. This is Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean was actually a prisoner. He went to prison for 19 years for stealing bread. And he gets out of prison. And when you're a prisoner there, you're basically an outcast. There was nowhere to go. And so he searched for four days after he gets out of prison for a place to stay, something to eat, maybe work. And the only person that would put him up was the bishop. Remember in the movie? The bishop lets him stay at the house. Now, there's a couple of different versions. I kind of like the Liam Neeson version. You know Liam Neeson? 
He's taken. He's got the deep. Uh, anyway, um, there's Liam Neeson. In his version, in the version, they show him in the middle of the night when the bishop goes to sleep. Jean Valjean is desperate. He's desperate to make a new life, and he goes to steal the family silver. Remember that part? And in the, in the Liam Neeson version, Jean Valjean actually is caught by the bishop in the middle of the night as he's trying to steal the silver. And he hits the bishop, knocks him unconscious, and he, and he leaves. Well, the next day, the police caught Jean Valjean. He's got all the silver. He's red-handed. I mean, he's busted. And he brings him back to uh, the bishop, and he says, well, the, the, we, have, we have found this man, and he has the silver. And he says, actually, that you gave it to him. And there's the bishop with a, this huge whelp on, it, on, his, on his head. And the bishop, how does he respond? He says this, so, so there you are, Jean Valjean. I'm delighted to see you, for you left so quickly that you forgot the candlesticks as well. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Jean Valjean's eyes, they, they got huge. They were, he's just amazed. Because after releasing him, the bishop says this. He pulls him in tight and he says, don't ever forget this. Don't ever forget this. Because today, you have promised with this money that you're going to make yourself an honest man. You remember that moment? And this act for Jean Valjean, this act of unmerited forgiveness and grace, it changed his life forever. He became a different person. And in fact, he actually kept the candlesticks to remind him of that forgiveness. And for years, things kind of passed down through the story. And what happens, there's this inspector, Javert. I don't even know if I'm saying that right either. Javert. And uh, he's played by Russell Crowe. And he is he's pursuing Jean Valjean. And he's trying to find him because... Javert is a very just man, and he's out to find this criminal that has escaped parole. And there's a, a powerful scene at the end of the movie where Jean Valjean has a chance to, to do away with Javert, the person who has been terrorizing him. And instead of killing him, he lets him go free. He lets him go free. Well, Javert, he couldn't handle that. It was this just man who was all about vengeance and being even. When, he, when grace hit him, when he, he just couldn't comprehend what was happening. So actually, he took his own life at the end of the movie there. Grace and forgiveness and mercy, they're powerful things. They can change a person's life. Well, let's, let's go back to the story. There is this, the man who's been forgiven all of this, this huge amount of debt, this huge sin. And what happens? If you were to win the lottery, if something were to happen like that, if you were to, to be forgiven of such a debt, what would your reaction be? I would be jumping up and down. I would be excited. I mean, if we look at stories about like the leper in the Bible, I mean, they're just, whoo, I found a dollar. It was crimpled up in my pocket the other day from laundry, and I was like, yes, a dollar! Woo! I'm buying nothing with this. Um, but can you imagine the reaction? Forgiven six to eighteen billion dollars. What happens? If we read on, he, he immediately goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him money, about a hundred denarii, which is about it's not a small chump change amount. It, we're talking about a hundred days worth of work. But eighteen billion, a hundred days of work, he grabs the servant by the throat begins to choke him. Give me my money. What does the servant say? The fellow servant, 
he actually says the exact same sentence that the other servant was saying just a few minutes ago. Have patience. Please have patience. Give me more time. But what's the servant's reaction? No. <laughs> Go to jail. And it was his right. Called the jailers, the, uh, pri- the, the police in, sent the guy to jail. <laughs> I don't get that. That's hard for me as I wrestle with that. 18 billion, 100. Why is forgiveness so hard? Why is it so difficult for us? Because it, it is hard, isn't it? There was a, a story, maybe you remember this, a couple of years back, uh, 92, 93, I think it was, there was a man, a truck driver, after the Rodney King verdict, there were riots in the street. And the truck driver was pulled from his, his truck, and he was actually beat in the middle of the street with a brick and a broken bottle. And this was all captured on TV. His name was Reginald Denny. And months later, Reginald Denny appeared in court, and he goes up to his three attackers, and he forgives them. He forgives them. The reporter that saw this whole scene reported in the news that day, you know what? It's a shame. Mr. Denny obviously is suffering brain damage. That's the way they reported it. Because forgiveness like that is not human. It's unnatural. It's difficult. It's hard. It's really hard when people have hurt us deeply. Because that's the sin we're talking about. This unforgiveness is talking about not just the the huge things, but also the rolling of the eyes. The sarcastic comment that has a lot of truth in it. It's that things that we say back and forth to each other, they're like knives for the way that people have hurt us. And we can remember them so vividly like they were yesterday. Just hold on to them. It's hard to forgive. And then Jesus, if we look at this prayer, at the end of this prayer, what does he say? Oh, by the way, BTW, everyone, um, if you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, then you are not forgiven yourself. You will not be forgiven of your sins. By, that's a pretty big, uh, by the way there, Jesus. Uh, if, we're, if we don't extend that forgiveness, then we don't well, kind of wrestle with that and say, well, that's kind of, it feels like kind of a works thing there. If I don't do this and I don't get this, Jesus, that doesn't really sound like you. I just kind of, huh. Well, maybe if we can, can get an idea to kind of wrap our minds around this, I, I, I think we should talk about snorkeling this morning. How many of you guys have ever been snorkeling before? Snorkelers, yes. We went snorkeling last year, and it was awesome. Uh, we uh, were given these flippers and a mask, and we saw these beautiful pick, these, you know, little fish, the little, what's the little, is that a clowny fish from Nemo? Saw one of those things, a little orange thing. There's actually a box in your notes. If you're, if you're nodding off, draw a picture of you snorkeling right now. It'll help you, right? But I need a volunteer. Anybody? My friend Scott. Yes, this was, come on up. Give it up for Scott Evans. All right, Scotty. I appreciate you being here. To snorkel, of course, you need a snorkel. I actually, I sterilized this. This is from my trip last year to Mexico, but I sterilized it. That's for you. And uh, actually, let's go ahead and, you know, I want to get a good visual here. I don't know. Hopefully this will fit. Can you put these on? Yeah. Awesome. 
All right, we're going to kind of see, visualize uh, Scotty uh, snorkeling this morning. I have flippers, but I just want, we'll just put them right there. They just look, you know, just kind of imagine here. And I have one of these awesome caps here. Oh. No, we're not going to go with the cap. I wouldn't do that to you, man. I wouldn't do that. I don't, want to, I don't want to see your hair messed up, all right? So imagine snorkeling here. Now, what is the point of snorkeling? What, the snorkel itself, what do you, what do you have to to breathe, to get oxygen in. Yes. Man, you guys are alert this morning, all right? It's good. Now, there actually is something else that's very important about the snorkel. What, what is that? You have to breathe out. You have to exhale, all right? If you are uh, about to drown, by the way, you have to not only get air in, you have to release it as well. Everybody together? Awesome, awesome, all right? So you're snorkeling around. There's beautiful fish now. What would happen if our friend was uh, snorkeling and uh, suddenly, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a brother or sister, but are you breathing in that thing, Scotty? Awesome. All right, and we took some little bit of duct tape. That was pretty poor. There you go. I'm glad the kids are not in during this portion of service. If Scotty, uh, does anybody know mouth to mouth? Uh, but there you go. The uh, not a pretty sight. Yeah? All right, you're good? Okay, thank you. Get it. You a little bit? There we go. All right, thank you. All right. Well, give it up for Scotty. I appreciate you being up here. You can keep those. Woo. It's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous thought. Have you ever put your hand over your, your friend's snorkel before when you're doing that? It's, it's not a nice trick to play. But, but he, if we think about that this morning... The snorkel, you get air in. You need air to breathe, but you have to release air. And that comes, it comes from the same tube. There are not two different tubes here. We have to forgive. We have to receive, we receive God's grace and mercy. But we have to release as well. If we're not willing to forgive, then maybe we're cutting off our supply of air. Maybe we've got some duct tape over some snorkels this morning where you said, you know what? I'm not going to forgive. They've hurt me too bad. You don't know. You don't know what they've done. Maybe that's, that's cutting off our supply to God's love and grace this morning. You know, I've, uh, I've been in youth ministry for a few years now, and I've talked about forgiveness a lot. And it's a, obviously a pretty foundational principle of who we are. But can I confess this morning? Sometimes I've, I've preached this, I've taught this, and said, you know what, this is easy. Forgiveness is easy. I mean, what, just do it. Come, just do it. And I think in the last few years, God has given me a picture. I don't know if you, you know this. There's a lot of pain in our world. And I've seen it on the eyes of students. Students that... I've talked about being hurt and even abused verbally, sexually. And something that's happened in these days is the pain is so great that kids are even hurting themselves. And that's just, that's not about kids. There's a lot of people that are self-inflicting wounds in their lives. Uh, there's a friend uh, that we have here in the church, his name is Melissa. I don't know if you've met Melissa yet. Her name is Melissa Ward. She works with students. She's a, 
She's a great girl, great family, and excited for her to work with students. A couple of weeks ago, she uh, came with us on our missions trip, and she shared her story, and I asked her to share it today, and, and we recorded a video, and I just want you to, to see it this morning. Check out Melissa's story. Just like so many people, I um, had some difficult experiences growing up. From the time I was about five years old until about the age of 12, I was sexually abused by several different people on multiple occasions. I believe it was my experiences growing up that led me to seek alcohol for comfort, sex. Um, as a teenager, as a young adult, I was trying to fill the hole that was inside of me when my innocence was taken. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My mother wasn't a believer. I didn't have anything of Christianity or Jesus in my environment. I did live with my great-grandmother for several years, and she was Catholic, and she loved God, but I didn't have a relationship with God. Looking at my life and one failed relationship after another, I realized something was really broken inside. And that is when I started seeking help however I knew. Group counseling, individual counseling, self-help books, and I made a lot of progress and learned a lot about myself, but I still didn't feel whole. One of the steps, points you have to get to is forgiveness of your offenders, and I had no idea how to forgive all of these people who had done such horrible things to me, and also how to forgive my mother who didn't protect me from these horrible things. And it was my lack of understanding of forgiveness that eventually led me to seek and cry out to God and to just question, is Jesus my salvation? As I've heard before, did he die for my sins? Was I forgiven for all of the horrible things I did growing up? Could he help me forgive those who had offended me and hurt me? I finally accepted Jesus as my salvation, accepted his forgiveness. And in that process, I realized that I could forgive the people who had hurt me because I was forgiven. I know that I can forgive people when they hurt me, even deep, deep hurts, because Jesus died for their sins as well as mine. My name is Melissa, and I can forgive because I've been forgiven. Amen. Amen. It's pretty powerful stuff. Let me tell you, forgiveness, there's a reason why Jesus put it beside daily bread. We need bread like we need air, like we need forgiveness. It's a, it's a necessity. You have to have it to survive. And if not, you're duct taping, taping the snorkel in your life. A refusal to forgive is too great of a torture 
for any human to bear. Lewis Smead says this, the first and often, the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. When we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover that prisoner that was set free was us. Let me tell you this morning, just a couple of reassurances for you. When we say forgiving, forgiving does not mean that we can or want to forget what happened. Forgiving doesn't mean that you surrender the right to justice, but instead to vengeance, and you leave the justice up to God. Forgiving doesn't mean that we tolerate the wrong that someone did to us. Forgiving is not about letting someone get away with something. Forgiving is not about staying with people who are hurting us. Forgiveness, forgiving doesn't mean that we excuse the person who did it. Forgiving doesn't mean that we take the edge off of evil of what was done to us. Forgiving doesn't mean that we invite someone to hurt us again. Forgiving does not mean that there is always restoration of a relationship or a reunion. Forgiving doesn't have to wait for someone to ask for it. Because in some situations, that's never going to come. It's not going to happen. But the prisoner to be set free is us. And that's why it's so vitally important. And that's why, as his disciples, we need to be like Christ. Remember Christ on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We pass that mercy on to others, even those who don't deserve it. Because none of us deserve it. Back to the story. Remember the servant? He's just wringed the guy by the neck. How could, I don't get it. I don't get How did he not pass that on to others? How did he not pass it on? 18 billion. Maybe it's because, remember what he asked for? King, have patience on me. Give me time. I'll pay it back. As ridiculous as that sounds, maybe he didn't hear the words that the king said that day. Maybe he didn't know when he left that, that court that he had truly, his debt was gone. It had been thrown away. And maybe he was still seeking out $20 here, $20 there. He was seeking that out still. Maybe he didn't, he heard, but he didn't hear. He'd been forgiven. But you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand who I've hurt you don't understand what I've said to people. I am the person that's the perpetrator. Your sins are forgiven. But the sins are too many to count. You don't know who I am when there's no one around. Your sin has been forgiven. But sins have been forgiven. Today is a day that the duct tape can come off. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to let go. Maybe this morning you're completely honest and say, I... 
I've got some things in my life that I am just, I cannot forgive them. He has hurt me too much. She, let it go. Let it go. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning, and it's an opportunity where we celebrate God's grace and say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. And there are stations around the room. But before you do that today, this place is an open place of reaction to God's word. Maybe today you need to, you need to come down the altar and you need to confess, God, help me appreciate and understand your mercy and accept it this morning and say, God, forgive me. I've sinned. I'm sorry altars, you're open. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you have something inside of you that's hurt so badly and you've kept it a secret for too long and you, God's telling you, you need to let it out. You need to, to let it go. And maybe the action step for you today is you need to tell somebody. And that's a huge step, a massive step. We're going to have people, we have Fareed and Theresa and, and Melissa and Mary and Doug, they're going to be around the room. And maybe this morning you just need to talk to someone. You need to, you need to let it out. And that's going to be a first step, a huge step of forgiveness this morning. Maybe there's someone that you need to forgive that they're not around. They're, they're, they've passed on and, and you just still have feelings of, of hurt or you can't find them. We have sheets of paper and, and pens at the altar this morning. Maybe you need to write a letter and just say exactly how you feel and you need help from God as you're praying and say, God, I don't know what to do. I need you. I'm desperate. I need your help in this. Let's spend time this morning. Let's, as we come before our Father, search your, yourself this morning. If there is even someone in this room, maybe husbands and wives need to have a talk this morning before you take communion. We had a student, even at a missions trip, we were in a service, we're talking about forgiveness. She left and she called the person that had been bullying her from the last year. Ended up texting conversation where basically she said, you treated me so poorly, but I want you to know that I forgive you. Maybe you need to pull your phone out this morning. And before you take the Lord's grace, Lord's Supper, you need to text someone or you need to even call someone. This place is open. There's free. There's not going to be anything after this. This is it, folks. This is what it's all about. Don't leave this place today before you make things right with our Lord and with others. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to spend some time seeking and searching. And then react whatever way God is leading you. And then when you feel right with God and when you feel right with others, go and take our, our Lord's meal this morning. There's their bread that's there. And that bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was broken and shed for you and for your sins. Take it, dip it into the cup, and receive God's forgiveness and grace this morning. The, the, the cup, the juice, represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on a cross for us. We have a gluten-free table over here. I'm going to pray, and I want you to just go as the Lord is leading you this morning.
Father, I thank you for your forgiveness this morning, God, your mercy and your love. When I think about what I have done, when I think about what I've said, what I have thought, how I've treated others, God, I don't deserve your mercy. And you give it to me anyway. Lord, we don't deserve your grace but you've loved us so much that you died on the cross so that we can be set free and have freedom. And God, we pray this morning for your strength to forgive others. Lord, help us to be your disciples. Help us to follow you and to be like you, God. But then let, let it go to release it. God, I pray that your spirit would work and move in this place. God, give courage, give freedom, and we will give you the praise, Lord. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Follow the Spirit's lead, and when you've taken the Lord's Supper and you feel things are right, just quietly slip out.